Probably the day after, but uh, this is a. I have a special request, if possible, and this is highly unlikely. But when you're on a fishing expedition, expedition for a big fish, you, you take whatever chances you you can get. When I was on WBAL ages ago, and I'm talking like 2015, <clears throat> I think it was June 3rd or June 4th. I had my parents on of 2015 i was getting married i thought it was i was getting married in september the show right before my wedding i had my siblings on a couple of my siblings i found that show but somewhere out there in the ether somebody's bound to have my parents downloaded some device or something that they just they downloaded that podcast from wbal with my parents they were by phone about being married for at that time 55 years i think it was so yeah if it was june 4th was their anniversary so if you have that you would be my hero if you would reach out to me if you can't somewhere it's somewhere online it's somewhere in the ether it was a podcast at some point how you find it or where the hell it is i do not know i've been racking my brain and looking around it might not even, I might not have the date <clears throat> right, but I know it's got to be then. So if you have that, if you could email me and figure out how we can transfer it somehow or whatever, you would be, uh, I'd give you a kidney. Maybe not necessarily mine, but I'd get you a kidney. I'd, <laughs> if you ever needed one, not just if you wanted one, because you'd have a problem. If you just go, you know what, I want a kidney. But I would be greatly appreciative of that, Derek Derek Allen Hunter at gmail.com. It's a good thing I'm off right now. My voice is not 100% right now. I've got a tickle in my throat. And uh, just I guess it just kind of happens when you completely fall apart. But uh, today's show is a rerun of Sean Parnell. Last time he was on the show, I don't remember what we talked about, but Sean is always good. And tomorrow's rerun is going to be a friend of mine, just sent me, speaking of old shows, just sent me the the fill-in time I did for Rush Limbaugh. So what the hell, I'm not making money off of this. And so they can't really be mad about that. And it doesn't exist online anywhere except for it will tomorrow. So uh, that will be the show tomorrow, which will be kind of cool. And at the end, I gave a shout-out to my dad and uh, mentioned that I miss my mom. Glad that he managed to be around to hear that. But um, anyway, there is uh, Sean Parnell. Joining me on the show right now is actually a three-time returning champion now. It's Sean Parnell. He's author of best-selling books. He's got the great uh, novels that we've had him on the show for, and I highly recommend that you... uh, Read, get the audio books. Forget it. Just search his name. But most importantly, especially for the country right now, he's running for Congress. Most people sit on the sidelines and say somebody should do something about this. He's actually doing something about this. He's running in the 17th Congressional District in Pennsylvania against Democrat Connor Lamb. It's Sean Parnell. Sean, thank you for taking the time. 
Hey, you're welcome, Derek. Hey, you know what you have to get? You have to get like a, a WW, like a championship belt. I've been back three times. I, I think I deserve a belt. You deserve, it's probably going to be brown leather because we've had other two <laughs> other people who've been on more. When your next book, when your next novel comes out, we'll get you at least a t-shirt. How's that? <laughs> that sounds great. I like Before that. I, there are a lot of reasons I wanted to talk to you, uh, and I'm rather curious about how one runs for Congress as a challenger in a time of, of mass self-quarantine. But you are out there in western Pennsylvania, the Pittsburgh area, the, the heart of the rust belt of this country. And I want to know from as many people as I can how the people out there are holding up. Oh, you know, they're really struggling. I mean, you know, uh, I've been taking calls for the last 48 hours from constituents and small businesses. They're just utterly panicked because, you know, I think, you know, while we have to take this uh, virus and our response and our pandemic strategy very, very seriously, Derek, I think the American people, especially here in PA 17, are wondering how they're going to put food on their table. I mean, they're in very real danger of being laid off if they haven't been laid off already. Uh, and going bankrupt and losing everything. So, you know, our, our strategy as we as we continue to look at the data, right, and that's going to be really important when we at, when when we refine our pandemic strategy is to look at the data, specifically the mortality rate. Our strategy has to be twofold. It has to be respond in 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 the best way possible to keep people healthy, but also keep people employed so we can keep this economy going. Um, one of the things that that we saw very early on, like when we had to sort of go on lockdown here and, and social distance, was that when we shut down the schools, right, like a lot of kids, uh, a lot of our most vulnerable children rely on two lunches, two meals a day at school, breakfast and right. lunch. And that's the only food they get, man. And so when my campaign and the volunteers, we call them Parnell's platoon. It's kind of cool. Uh, people kind of dig it. Um, we sort of we've court, we sort of shifted our campaign operation to, you know, dro dropping off food at the Salvation Army, which already has a program in place to get these kids uh, school lunches uh, and make sure that they have good nutrition and that they're actually eating through this this horrible crisis. Um, and it's been kind of an awesome thing to behold, you know. Um, you know, and by the way, we're following CDC guidelines. You know, it's like you know, it's like instead of going, you know, when you go to the grocery store, right? Instead of buying that extra pack of toilet paper, maybe buy a, you know, a, like a lunch pack of chips or something and swing by the Salvation Army in your community and drop them off so that they have that food to give kids lunches, you know. Um, bottom line is people are struggling, you know. Um, and I think how, how is their mentality, though? Are they there are some people I'm seeing after a week on Twitter sort of making sort of cries for help saying, you know, this is harder than I thought. These are generally people who live alone. But uh, it's it's still I mean, I'm at home with a wife and, and two kids and every once in a while I just kill to be left alone. But um, <laughs> it is this sort of weird thing where I have friends who live not far from here who on a normal Saturday, I'd call them up and say, hey, you want to come over? I've got some stuff to show you or you want to hang out or whatever. You can't do that. Video chatting can only take you so far. The mentality that people, you know, the food obviously is wildly important, but so is maintaining your sanity. Yeah, and and, and your rights. You know, this is people in Western Pennsylvania. They love their freedom, and you know, they work hard and and they they play hard. And 
you know, uh, they're patriotic and I'm talking Democrats and Republicans, you know, and independents. It's it's you know, so that's why I said earlier, I think I think people are. I mean, they're not they're not dejected or depressed. I mean, they they want to go back to work. You know, right. I don't think that, you know, I think we need to get cash into the hands uh, of the most vulnerable among us. Right. Um, I'm all for that uh, in terms of a pandemic response, right, a relief package. But most people don't want to become a de facto employee of the of the government. They want their jobs back. So, you know, I think it's incumbent upon our leaders to give them a sense of structure like, yes, Here's the strategy. The goal is to flatten the curve. Yes, but we also have to be steadfast protectors of our economy to make sure that you have a job to go back to, you know. Um, and I think I think the people of Western Pennsylvania are tough. And and everywhere I go, and I, I've got to I've got to you know run into the grocery store or getting gas or whatever. Um, people seem to be following the CDC guidelines here, and that's what I've said from the very beginning. We don't need to close down businesses. We should afford them the free uh, the freedom to operate in some limited capacity as long as they are following CDC guidelines, right? Uh, that way, when we emerge from this crisis, we actually have an economy to come back to that's as strong as, as strong as possible. That's kind of one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, because I think you're in a unique position, and your, your position as uh, leading the 10th Mountain Division, the Army's 10th Mountain Division of the Rangers over in Afghanistan and taking orders from above and having to execute orders. There are many times where you have to, there's no good option, but there's a mission. Oh, you know what right. I mean? Oh, yeah, and I do. Yeah. We, we have a situation here where, yes, we can handle a couple of weeks. We can handle a couple of weeks, but there comes a point where we won't be able to handle more. And how do you make that decision? How do you realize you're to that point when the the cure is worse than the disease? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, you know, and we've heard, you know, certainly President Trump talk about we're at war with the virus and that he's a wartime president. And I and I agree with his rhetoric. Um, but when you when, if you're going to use that the rhetoric of war, we have to look at different types of, of sort of combat, right? There's total war where there's a significant amount of collateral damage and risk for casualties on both sides and civilians are, are very high. Um, and then there are strategic, you know, strategic surgical strikes. Now we, for the most part, I mean, we rely on the latter, right? In the U.S. military, yeah. uh, cause it's smarter. So at some point, you know, we're, I, I look at it now, we're all, we're at like total war with this virus right now. And, and in doing so, you have to you have to wonder are are we doing irreparable damage to our economy as we wage this war? You know, like if I had, you know, if my house wasn't infested with termites, I wouldn't burn down my home to fix or rectify the infestation, right? So mm -hmm. moving forward, that's why I talk about looking at the data and the mortality rate and refining our pandemic strategy response. So that we're being more surgical, we're still we're, we're protecting the most vulnerable among us. Uh, maybe they're quarantined. Maybe they have to stay home for an extended period of time. But we slowly let people go back to work as long as they're adhering to the CDC guidelines. So, um, look, this is this is an unprecedented crisis. And, and Derek, one of the things that concerns me the most here, and that uh, many people are not talking about this, is that. We have to question whether or not the long, what the long-term efficacy of a lockdown would be, specifically with regards to combating a virus that we don't have a vaccine for. You know, we could lock ourselves down for two months and do irreparable damage to our economy in the process, 
uh, rack up trillions of dollars of debt, only to find ourselves, because we don't have a vaccine, right back in the same situation in November. Only right, this some time. jackass hops on a yeah. plane from Beijing yes. and comes over here and starts it all over. It only takes one domino to start the whole mess That's from crawling. Right. That's right, and only only the next time we face it, Derek, are we gonna? We will be on much weaker economic footing. So, yeah, of course we have to. We have to take this virus seriously. I, in fact, I was one of the first people in the entire country. Uh, along with Senator Tom Cotton, the, the call for closing down of flights and banning travel from China into this country. A day before President Trump uh, made that call, I've taken this virus seriously. We still need to take it seriously, but we also have to make sure that we're protecting our economy. And by economy, I don't mean the stock market. I mean right. people that, that have a job, that want to make sure that they have a job to go back to, which is why it's, you know, there's a Look, there's a constellation of different things, right? A great patchwork of things that we need to do with regards to an aid package. But the first thing that we need to do is protect small businesses. 85% of our economy is driven by small business. We want to make sure that we protect small businesses to, get, to infuse them with liquidity so that they can keep the lights on and keep people employed. So that once we see through this crisis, people can go back to work and our economy can pick up right where, it left, where, where we left off. So we're, we're we're recording this conversation Monday afternoon, about four o'clock. The Democrats in the Senate have twice continued to filibuster the phase three of the, the coronavirus relief bill. They've passed one and two. And the number two, they just took direct from the House and, you know, played, said, OK, you guys do this one. We'll do the next one. They 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 held up there and Democrats are still filibustering. Maybe by the time this airs, it they will have come to their senses and, and found some humanity in themselves. Maybe not. It doesn't matter. The fact that they would have filibustered twice this bill says more about what they are as people. Uh, when you see something like that, and you're trying to work with these people, you're, you know, granted across the Capitol in the House, but th this is the mentality. Actually, the House is more partisan over there. You're a passionate guy. You don't suffer fools lightly because your life has depended on it in several times and the lives of, of your men have depended on it several times. Uh, how do you deal? How would you deal with these morons? <laughs> I, 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 I'm trying to think of another way to put it without no, swearing. Well, I could swear, but. You know, it just you, you get what I'm saying, because there's so many different questions I could lead to from that. But just first and foremost, when you watch these people talk about we need to put in protection for workers and not corporations, what if there are no corporations to go back to work for? What are you going to do then? And we need subsidies for green things and payoffs for unions and all this this usual bullshit that these people do. And I don't know how, granted, the average age of a senator is like five years past the average death. So they're not going to rumble. They're not going to throw down. But in the House, I could see some punches being thrown if they had the filibuster. Yeah, well, look, I mean, for me, uh, one, of, one of the things that I learned in Afghanistan real quickly, and you hear this all the time with military movies, is like, oh, great leaders are supposed to inspire their their people, right? Or great, great military leaders are supposed to inspire their men. Well, the fact, you know, well, the rubber met the road in Afghanistan for me when we were, you know, in firefights day in and day out. One of the things that I realized was that great people inspire their leaders. And so for me, you know, I look at, you know, being a servant leader is the bedrock of everything that I do. And I, I it, you know, running for office is not about me. You know, that's that's one of the things that politicians think elections are about them. 
elections aren't about them. Elections are about the people and making sure that they have a voice. And that's why I'm running. So everything that I do and all of my passion will be channeled into giving the people of PA 17 a voice. And I and, and I just got to ask, I asked uh, Connor Lamb, who's my opponent, you know, on Twitter today, you know, how, how does a, a climate change study help Americans help help small businesses keep the lights on and help put cash in Americans po- pockets during a, a pandemic fueled economic meltdown. Why, why is why is required early voting or provisions on official time on u- union collective bargaining or um, airline emissions? Uh, why why are these things part of a pandemic relief bill? You know, essentially, they, the only answer can be that the Democrats are putting politics before the American people. The American people are suffering while the Democrats pay, play politics. And what what does that mean? That means that people, gosh, and it drives me crazy when people, oh, net neutrality, oh, people are gonna die. <laughs> but not, that, that, that's bogus. But this is, we are in a crisis, the likes of which we have not faced before in this country, Derek. People will die and are dying and Americans are losing their jobs while we got climate change nonsense in our pandemic relief bill. It's just unbelievable to me. So, you know, I, I think you can't go wrong as a leader in Washington when you're putting the people first, right? Um, right. As to how as to how I I work with people in a bipartisan way, well, you know, that's the job. You gotta you gotta find you gotta find common areas where you can agree, and that's what's so infuriating about this bill in the Senate, Derek, is that it's bipartisan. Democrats. They had agreed. Yes. And they just wanted yes. more. And so Nancy Pelosi comes back from San Francisco on Sunday and immediately torpedoes the bill. I mean, it's just unbelievable. It's reprehensible in every way. Yeah, I, I watch this and I think of those provisions that you, the, the airline uh, mileage increase, the subsidies for wind and solar, the the more collective bargaining power for unions. And I think if any of these have merit, they should be able to stand alone. This isn't the place for it. There are plenty of Republican wish lists that were not put in this bill because they're irrelevant to this bill. And they knew that it would cost Democrats votes and to at the last hour, when 24 hours prior, Chuck Schumer was talking about how they'd been working together and this is a good deal and Nancy Pelosi had been consulted, to then come in and kneecap it is is shocking, not because they did it, they do this all the time, but that they would do it on something like this. I knew that Washington was full of political animals. I had no idea that they were cannibals, you know, and that's the weird and disgusting thing about this is I don't know how you go back after this. I've had uh, Congressman Andy Harris from Maryland on my radio show. And after impeachment and the way that impeachment was run through, which was by the time, by the way, the time that this virus was spreading around the world. So talk about a distraction. Yes. As that was going on, I asked him, like, how can you trust the Democrats, your colleagues, your Democratic colleagues to do anything? Because they promised a minority day hearing. They promised a whole bunch of things that they never followed through on. And he told me flat out, no. And he's he's been there for a number of years as as somebody who is going to step into that environment, as somebody who 
looks to bridge that gap. I, I think you are you aware that you have to sort of bridge it on. You have to be both ends of the bridge, if you will. You, you have to be the middle span. You can't, you can't be one side reaching out to the other. And in many ways, the damage is done by the professional political class that you have to be the span itself. Yeah, yeah. It's. Cha- I mean, look, I. I think this is why it's so important that that we the Republicans take back the majority in the House. And, uh, you know, the Democrats, at least right now, this is not the Democratic Party of my grandfather. My grandfather was a lifelong union Democrat. I mean, I got Democrats in my family. It's 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 about 50 50. So it's the Democrats now are not the Democrats of old, you know, and and this crisis has shown us that they do not deserve to be in the majority in the House anymore, you know? And, you know, when we talk about, like, Connor, Connor, he can't do anything for the American people. The only way that we can give, or, or I'm sorry, the American people, of course, but the people of PA-17, right? He votes with Nancy Pelosi 96, 98% of the time. He votes with the squad 90% of the time. Those aren't our value system here. So the only way to give the people a voice in this in this district a voice is for Connor Lamb to lose and Republicans to take back the House. Um, and talk a little bit about the district there. there. Is it it was a, a very Trump district, yet Connor Lamb won. A, it was a special election, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Um, it, yep. It was a so special how, election against a Republican he, opponent. So how did he do that? How did he manage to be a Democrat in a blue district or in a red district? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, so the special election was actually that victory was much more impressive uh, because that was in that was in a different district. So there was a special election. Connor Lamb won by about 300 votes in about an R plus 20 district. This was in 2018 when. Right. You know, I don't know. The Mueller probe was just kicking off. Um, um, Americans like maybe they weren't sure about President Trump or at least moderates. I, I don't know. It was there was a ton of Democratic energy. It was a special election. Democrats dumped, you know, 10 million dollars into the race, gave Lamb a national profile um, and somehow he won. Uh Then the uh, PA Supreme Court gerrymandered the state and drew PA 17. Uh, now, PA-17 is still a R plus three or R plus four district. If the district had existed when President Trump ran in 2016, he would have won it by three points, right? Or three percentage points. So it's still a Trump district. Um, it, you know, and he beat what happened was in the in the next election, they drew Keith Rothfuss's district out of Pennsylvania and they plucked him from his district and they put him in lambs. And then you had two incumbents running against one another. Do you remember that? I think it was like vaguely. Yeah. And, and, you know, Connor had just come off, you know, what, two months prior, $10 million of advertising. They took Keith out of his district. Keith had almost uh, zero name recognition in Connor's district. Uh, This was at a time where a, a midterm election where the Democrats were the top of the ticket, you know, establishment Republicans and, uh, Trump Republicans turnout was low. Um, yeah, he, it was just a sort of perfect, perfect storm, right? He had two Connor, Connor had two back to back victories. Um, but that's not going to be the case in 2020 because now he has a record and look, everything that he's campaigned on everything he's gone back. I'm pro-life. Well, you're not pro-life. You voted against the born, born alive act twice. Okay. He, his first campaign ad Derek was he's, he was carrying an AR 
firing an AR in a range. Well, guess what? Today he has an <laughs> F rating from the NRA. Oh, he's going to oppose Nancy Pelosi. Guess what? Votes with her over 90% of the time. He's going to support President Trump. Guess what? He voted to impeach the guy twice. So it's just, he's gone back on every single promise. And so now he has a record. This time's going to be different. Um, and look, you, the president on the ballot is a huge deal. You know, how do you how do you campaign in the midst? This is one of the things I really wanted to, to ask you about. You're the only guy I know who's 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 running. How do you campaign as a challenger? Because, you know, normally you got to go out, you got to kiss the babies, you got to go to the county fairs, you got to go to the parades, you got to go to the openings, you got to go and meet the business people. You can't do any of that. Imagine that makes fundraising difficult and campaigning. There's no door knocking anymore. So as you're, this is all new to you. It's not like anybody's got a handbook. You can, can't look back at, well, the last time this happened, this is how they did it. How are you cobbling together a campaign? Because I know you've got the know-how. I know you've got the, the organizational skills and you've got the passion of a lot of people. But putting that into motion, you have to create a whole new way of campaigning right now. You can't yeah. take it off. You can't take, well, I'll just, I'll take a month off from the campaign. You're not Joe Biden. You can't go disappear into your house and, and pretend all is well and wait for Bernie to drop out. You you have to be out there. You have to find a way to get out there. How, how do you do that? Well, for, I mean, first, I mean, you got to just, you got to leverage social media more, you know, and is that perfect? No. Uh, uh, you're right. Door knocking is out the window. So what we've done is we pivot to, to sort of virtual training, virtual volunteer training. We, we rely heavily on Zoom to get our volunteers in. Uh, and we're doing training every week now uh, with our volunteers. Uh, and then what we're doing is we we shifted from door knocking to phone banking. You know, obviously door knocking is better. It's preferable. But, you know, we're making phone calls now every single day uh, all across the district. Um, before this, you know, it's, it's a bummer because, I mean, the pandemic, obviously, for a number of reasons, but we're talking specifically about the campaign now, is that we were doing three to five events every single day you know, mm -hmm. touring companies and going to the fairs and the parades and all, and all that stuff. And it's, it was so great and fun. I mean, we could go to chili cook-offs. It was awesome. Uh, <laughs> but now it's like, we'll get fat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know <laughs> my, my, my waist size is getting bigger and bigger. Um, but you know, it's, yeah, it's a bummer because you, know, you can't do that stuff anymore. So the only thing that we can hope for is a good pandemic response. One where we guard, safeguard our economy and keep the American people healthy and hopefully this this cloud um, will lift and we can get back to, you know, the ordinary business of, of campaigning as usual, um, you know, and, and fundraising, by the way, it, it it you know, yeah, fundraising is challenging, too, you know, because uh, it, in fact, we I you still have to do it, you know, but right, it, right. It, it, I, it just feels tone deaf. So many people are struggling right now. Um, and so you got to walk, I guess what I'm saying, Derek, is you got to walk a real fine line. So many people have lost so much over the last couple of weeks. Uh, but we still have, I think, 2020 is is looming large, man. And there's still an election and we still got to raise money. And and we, we have to raise money because I've got to get my message out and getting my message out and his voting record out will be critical to, to me winning in November. Uh, and so we're, we're still doing that. We're still fundraising. We've exceeded, you know, we were in the race and, you know, when president Trump, by the way, you know how, you know how I got in the race, he came to the district and uh, called me out in a speech 
Do you know anything about that? <laughs> so, no. Yeah, yeah. He, that he, old story, you're called out by the president of the yeah, United States. I know, I know, I know. So, you know, I do like charity work, with, give it away service dogs and stuff. I was down in South right. Carolina doing something like that. My phone just starts blowing up after we finish an event. And I got like 56 missed calls, some from reporters and mostly from my mom who watched this speech on TV. President Trump <laughs> called me out to run against Lamb in Western Pennsylvania. And I was like, well... Okay, I guess I'm I guess I'm running now. So I turned my life upside down and got in the race on October 30th. And so we had about six weeks to raise money. And in six weeks, we raised two hundred and seventy thousand dollars, which is way, well above what we needed to raise. And, you know, we were on track for a Q1, a really, really great Q1 quarter. Um, and I think we still are. But obviously, uh, coronavirus and this pandemic has, has made that more challenging. This is one point I'd like to make to everybody listening is if you, you're like me, I live in, you know, a, a place that's as blue as it gets. It's I'm in a Smurf's ass. It's so blue. <laughs> and there are many people across the country, but there are those 30, 35 districts across the country that are purple or are Trump districts that are occupied by Democrats now where your my energy and my efforts and everything in my district, it won't make a difference. It, so I suggest everybody sort of look to those other districts. Check out those candidates. Check out a Sean Parnell. The website is seanforcongress.co, by the way. And and maybe instead of trying to help your local lost cause in a D plus 40 district, adopt a Republican in another district. You all vote on the same things. You know, it's yes, it'd be nice to have somebody sane representing you where you live. But if that's not an option, pick somebody else across the country and help them that way. You can phone bank remotely. You can you can't door knock, but you can phone bank remotely. You can get engaged in social media. You can donate. You can do all of those things from wherever you happen to be in the United States. Am I correct? Yeah. And look, I mean, we have got if you want this lunacy uh, in our government to stop, we've got to take back the House, you know. Um, otherwise, I mean, once this pandemic passes, when it does uh, and it will, I mean, Democrats are already talking about impeachment 2.0. I mean, that's just it's just insane. And I'm glad that you brought up that in January, while Democrats were, you know, holding committees on the on a sham of an impeachment and, and appointing impeachment managers, this virus and a plague was growing in China and spreading all around the world while everybody in our government was distracted on, on a sham impeachment of Donald Trump. That's dereliction of duty. And every single Democrat that did that needs to be voted out of office. Ground zero for that fight is right here in Western Pennsylvania in PA 17. Pennsylvania, I mean, the president, I mean, for all intents and purposes, he needs to win Pennsylvania to go back to the White House. And he he needs to win PA 17, which is the district I'm running in, to, to win Pennsylvania. There's, there is no path to victory for him in, in Pennsylvania unless he wins PA 17. Now, he's going to win, and I am as well, but I can't do it without the help of the American people. You know, national money. National money put Connor Lamb in that seat, and I need the American people to galvanize behind me to help me take it back for them. Well, Lord knows this country owes you enough, and I know you'd never say that, and you're probably going to chew me out for having said it, <laughs> but I, I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, in the last couple of minutes we have left, Sean, and again, the website is seanforcongress.co. I've got to ask about your novels i gotta yeah. ask about the books because we were promised a third eric Steele novel now it seems to me like you got some time to write right now i read somewhere the other day that volume three is on track to be released in september a is that true 
Yes, yes, it is. And I'm so psyched about it, man. This is by far the best book I've ever written. It's it is. I'm really you're going to get and I know you and I talked about this, but you're going to get more answers on on what happened to Eric Steele's dad. Um, And the alpha program has uh, their backs up against the wall and Eric Steele's left to figure out all those those challenges. But, yes, it's still on track for a September 2020 release. How far into it are you? And when the hell do you find time to write while running for Congress? How do you not have nothing but gray hair right now? You got kids, too. Jesus. I know. I do. I do have a lot. I feel like I do have a lot more gray hair now than I did in October when I first got in. Yes. But I I finished the book in January. It's turned into my publisher. They've got it right now. So it's just in pre-publication, like designing the cover and and stuff like that. But I don't know. I don't There's know how things legally is. stopping you from just accidentally emailing me the draft, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm pretty sure I'm getting in trouble. I'm still going to buy the audiobook, damn it. It was that good. <laughs> oh man, I, I think you're going to I think you're really going to like this one. Uh, this this book is just this book is just it's better than the first two. And that's the goal as a writer, you get a fiction writer, you get better every book, you know, become a more sophisticated storyteller every book. But this book, it, it's done. I turned it in in January, um, and right now I'm working on the fourth one, just sort of plotting out the fourth one. But again, this whole pandemic has thrown a wrench in, in all that as well. So, Is it going to be incorporated, something like this incorporated I, into your novels? I don't see how it couldn't. You know, if I were writing a book during World War II, I mean, it was su- World War II was such a, a obviously a, a, a global event. It was reflected in most of the writing at the time. I don't see how a, a global pandemic like the one that we're in right now isn't incorporated into the story. So it might, it's not, it probably is not going to be the main plot, but it will certainly be, you know, part of the setting and backdrop. Do we have a title for volume three yet? Yes, we do. It's, it's called one true Patriot. One true Patriot, Sean Parnell. And it's due out in September. Yep. Tentatively right now. But again, I don't. So right in the heat of your campaign. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 my publisher is in New York. New York is on lockdown. I don't know how the pandemic uh, affects the publication of it. But, um, yeah, I, right now it's still set for September 2020. Well, you, you better come back on the show when that comes in. And I'd love to have you back on before then just to continue to follow this race. Because, again, there are really a handful of districts that are bellwethers for everything in this country and the, your district there in PA 17 is definitely one of them. The website is seanforcongress.co. The man is Sean Parnell. His books, the uh, Eric Steele novels, Man of War and All Out War, and the big New York Times bestseller, Outlaw Platoon. Dude, I, I appreciate you. Not that you had anything better to do today. You weren't going to go outside, but uh, I appreciate you taking the time to because I, I was always curious how in the hell there are a lot of challengers out there that already have a, a, a tough road a, a hoe for them and now you can't go out and do the traditional campaigning are you seeing other people other candidates i imagine th- that there's a little bit of a brotherhood of, of you know challengers out there a network you've had some some washington types come out there senators and and congressmen come out and endorse you are you hearing other things from other candidates about wow you know if you came up with a good idea or somebody in michigan came up with a really good idea a good way to campaign sort of without campaigning is there a way to spread that around to everybody oh for sure uh we do we do uh, i don't want to say weekly but maybe bi-weekly calls um 
you know, hey, this worked for this was a good fundraising. This was a good fundraising gig for me. I mean, right now, one of the things that we're trying to lay the groundwork for um, is virtual fundraising. And, and, you know, we've never, it's never really been done before, but again, just like when you're in combat, you know, everybody has a, has a plan till they get hit with the first punch. So it's, it's very, very important as an organization, um, that we're able to, to shift fire pretty quickly, um, to adapt to the environment that we're in. And so, yeah, this, 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 the crisis, this pandemic crisis has thrown a wrench in our operation for sure. But, you know, we're still, I'm still engaging with the volunteers, communicating on social media, all all in a virtual way. And like I said, when this pandemic lifts, we're going to be, we're going to be back out on the ground, you know, um, working our butts off every day um, until November when we win. Amen, brother. Thank you. All right, man. Thanks, Derek. Stay safe. You too. All right. I'm stopping recording.